the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together as we head into the weekend. I hope you have a great weekend, everybody, and I hope you will uh, tune in in a few moments. Uh, we will have a very interesting interview with a lawyer, Christopher Ferrara, uh, from Thomas More Society, a very good group, about uh, one of the lawsuits, one of the activist attorneys general, uh, the one in New York, who is um, targeting pro-lifers now. It doesn't stop. And so there you have it. Uh, visit pro uh, excuse me, proamericareport.com, sign up for the daily email, as well as follow me on Twitter at Eagle. Martin. The email is called the Wink, What You Need to Know, which is the same title, if you can believe it, as this segment right here. And today, what you need to know is the power of words, the power of words, the power of words, and maybe said better, the power of research. I know it's getting sloppy. The power of words sounds better and even better. The power of a word, one word. Uh, the word was made flesh. That's a pretty good one. Uh, in the beginning was the word, but those are our faith uh, tradition. What I'm saying here is I have watched where over the last six months, and I talked about this the other day, the guy, Garrett Ziegler, who runs MarcoPoloUSA.com, MarcoPoloUSA, excuse me, MarcoPoloUSA.org. It's a um, nonprofit research group. And his name is Garrett Ziegler. He worked in the Trump White House for Peter Navarro. I've watched for six months, and I'd say five and a half months of that time, I've watched as he has put out his words through his website on the Biden laptop. He's put out his words. He's just, he's not, actually, I say it differently. I'm saying it incorrectly. He hasn't put out his words. He's put out the words from the laptop and then photos and media, multimedia. But he has just gone out and made available to the public what exists on the laptop. And periodically, he's given some context, but mostly he said, you look at it. Because we were lied to as a nation in October 2020, when 50 or 51, I never remember why they say 50, I think it's 51, former intelligence officials lied and said, it has all the markings of Russian disinformation. It was a lie because of the context they were saying it. And these are sophisticated people who know if you say something like it's Russian disinformation, that is a lie that can be proven. Instead, they say it has all the markings of Russian disinformation. And they think that we are going to sit around and let them get away with it and say, oh, well, they didn't technically lie. Nonsense. Liars. Every one of them liars, not incompetent, not not misguided, not stupid liars, all of them. And we were lied to by some of the most sophisticated liars, the most authoritative liars ever in history about the laptop. And then we're supposed to be told after the election, months later, January 6th, you're not allowed to look at January 6th, not allowed to look at uh, the, the election. You're not allowed to protest anything. You have to move on, you have to move on. And you're not allowed to say, why did we get lied to? And the answer is on the laptop, not what you think about the laptop, but on the laptop. And that's 
for six months, I'd say it's probably been it's been a lot longer than he's been working on it. But for I've been aware for six months back since before the new year about how much information has been placed in a searchable database in a way that we could look at it. The Biden laptop. If you go to Biden laptop emails dot com or Biden laptop media dot com, you'll see it. And it's not been a value judgment. In fact, Garrett Ziegler, the founder, will tell you he's fed up of both parties. He doesn't think the Republican Party is worth a hoot much either. So he's not sitting around and saying, oh, I'm for one party or the other. What he is saying is what the deep state tried to hide from us. Well, did hide what buried from us. Here's what it was. Take a look. And for six months, I've known about it for five and a half months. It hasn't seemed to matter. And in the last two weeks, you talk about persistence. In the last two weeks, Garrett Ziegler, Marco Polo, USA.org, their efforts, their persistence has paid off. Because if you look closely, you'll notice all of the conversation on Hunter Biden's plea, on Hunter, the charges against him, on Hunter Biden's uh, conduct, it comes back to facts, details, from the Hunter Biden laptop. In fact, one of the stories that was breaking on Friday, I think it was Friday morning, was about Hunter Biden sitting in a Corvette with his dad or no, with his buddies. I don't think he was, he was at his dad's house in the Corvette, the famous Corvette. And he's saying, texting the Chinese government that I, the big guy is caring. He wants to know why this hasn't been resolved, why I haven't gotten paid sitting there. The photo is available. It's out there. The photo, the detail is out there along with the words from the text both of them are coming from the Hunter Biden laptop. In other words, Garrett Ziegler, the Marco Polo Research Group, their efforts are paying off, not in an argument, but in spreading the truth. And then people are going, what is that? And so what I'm telling you here is Marco Polo, Garrett Ziegler, BidenLaptopEmails.com, BidenLaptopMedia.com has been shut out from almost all of the mainstream media. In fact, it's been shut out from a lot of other media, too. Let's be honest. Even the conservative media has not given them as much attention as you'd expect. I, reasons I don't really know. I, sometimes I think it's because the the people who want to control the narrative on we're investigating is the guys in the House, the people in the House, the members, the uh, the Republicans and of uh, 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 men and women that are House members that are dating. They don't want competition. Somebody saying here, I don't know, but they have largely ignored or say it differently, they probably will defend themselves. The the mainstream media, even the conservative media, they probably defend themselves and say, well, we didn't ignore him. Uh, We just didn't give him that much coverage. We're sure. I mean, there's a lot of there there, but we didn't know. Well, I don't know. I don't care. I don't care why. I just know that now current events are catching up to what Garrett Ziegler was making available. Two points, two things that you need to know. What you need to know right now is, number one, persistence pays off. And if you are not just making the argument, but you're actually putting out the real deal, whether it's interviews, whether it's uh, uh, documents, whether it's photos, if you're not just saying they're a bunch of liars, we're so mad, but instead saying, look at it. Don't take my word for the fact that 51 intelligence community officials are liars. Look at the documents. Look at the media. Look at the the stuff. 
much more powerful. It, it can't be disputed, Axel. Actually, that's the point. It can't be discounted. Your argument can be discounted by the narrative machine, by the by the powers that be. The facts, the truth, the stuff, not the truth, the stuff becomes what you have to look at. Then you have to argue against what's clear and black and white. Hunter Biden sitting in the Corvette, Hunter Biden texting at the same time, matching up when the photo was taken with when the texting's happening. And so one is persistence pays off. Two is we have to do a better job. We have to find more ways to lift up into the all the different levels of media the kinds of efforts that Garrett Ziegler and Marco Polo USA.com have done because it's a little bit like Project Veritas and Project Veritas, a little bit like um, uh, Fitton, Tom Fitton at uh, a judicial watch. These guys have stuff to talk about. You got to get them a chance to talk about it. Remember when Project Veritas, when, when back when it had O'Keefe and, and it was, seemed to be more dynamic, they were blocking O'Keefe from uh, from the channels, right? They weren't letting him on the cable news. They weren't letting him on some of the sites, the big sites. Not just CNN. I think he was, for a period, maybe he was blocked at Fox. And the point here is, if you take away the chance, we, we've got to find ways to, to increase the channels and the access to these truth and facts. And one of the challenges I would say is, I think there ought to be more local and state pushback on federal intrusions, including, for example, there is an executive order that Joe Biden signed that directed all the federal government to its departments to do things about election access. And nobody really knows what it means, but state attorneys general ought to ask. And when I say ask, they ought to ask in a letter first, and then after the letter's not answered, they ought to get ready to go to court. And they ought to go into court and say, hey, we're asking a question about our citizens, about our sovereignty, about our Constitution. They won't even answer and try to change the dynamic. Because the dynamic right now is if you play by the usual rules, play by the rules as they set them. First of all, they break the rules. They do all the time. And then they laugh at us. And second of all, they've they've, they've set the rules in such a way. They fortify the rules in such a way. It's very hard for us to win. So we've got to change that. We've got to change up that dynamic. We've got to get after these set of issues around all these things in ways that are different than we approached before. I, that's what I'm seeing. That's what I'm seeing. And uh, in particular, uh, watching develop. So there you have that. That's good. It's good stuff going on. All right. Uh, and if, so that's what you need to know. We'll um, push that up, put that up on the social media. Don't forget, go to proamericareport.com. Sign up for the daily uh, wink in your email box, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. East Coast, 5 a.m. Pacific. At Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter. Follow me there. And uh, we, as I mentioned, we've got a couple great guests. John Schlafly will be with us, as well as Christopher Ferrara. And I'll wrap things up by talking about my extraordinary meeting last night uh, with Donald J. Trump up in New Jersey. A lot to talk about in our last segment. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I've been interested to speak with our next guest uh, for a couple of days since I noticed uh, this lawsuit. It was forwarded to me. The Thomas More Society, by the way, does unbelievable stuff. It's a national uh, law firm, nonprofit law firm, um, and works for the family and pro-life and just great stuff. ThomasMoreSociety.org. ThomasMoreSociety.org. Uh, one of the lawyers there is uh, senior counsel Christopher A. Ferrara. He joins us now. Um, 
talking about a a case in New York where the New York att- uh, attorney general is making very radical. This is my characterization, uh, Christopher, radical policy for to favor abortion uh, through her position uh, as attorney general of New York. So welcome, uh, Mr. Ferrara. How are you, sir? I'm fine. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, so before we get to the specifics, would you offer, I know a, a lot because I'm a lawyer too, and I, I, I really think it's so important, attorneys general, state attorneys general have so much power, so much, if say it better, influence. It's not direct power a lot of times, influence on how things go, how arguments are made. Would you comment broadly looking across the country? Because sometimes people say, oh, well, there's an attorney general's race. I, I care mostly about the governor, right? And how important are these are these attorneys general? And then we can slide into what New York's attorney general is doing. Well, the attorney general in each state is the state's highest law enforcement officer who has tremendous power, both civilly and criminally, to bring proceedings to further whatever aims the attorney general thinks are appropriate. And in this case, we're talking about political aims. Right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So in New York, we've got pro-life advocates who are uh, uh, peaceful of all descriptions. I don't think anybody says that they're not, but uh, peaceful in the sense of what their approach is. And they're being targeted. Um, and, and walk us through how they're being targeted, what the what the attorney general is doing, how she's going outside of the bounds of what she should be doing. Well, the action is brought by the attorney general of the state of New York, Letitia James, on behalf of the people of the state of New York under what is called parents patrie standing. So on behalf of the people, she's suing the Red Rose group, a loosely associated group of people, including uh, Father Fidelis, Matthew Connolly, William Goodman, Laura Geis, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, John Hinshaw, and uh, John and Jane Doe for staging what are basically sit-ins at abortion clinics. And now, you, yeah, go ahead, keep going, please. The action is brought under the Freedom of Access to Clinics Entrances Act. This is a civil proceeding, not a criminal proceeding. And also the New York equivalent, the New York Access Law, New York Clinic Access Law. Now, those laws prohibit only force, a threat of force, or an actual physical obstruction that makes it unreasonably difficult or hazardous to access an abortion clinic. But these people are involved in nonviolent, peaceful sit-ins. They just sit in the waiting room, to which people interested in the services, if you want to call them that, of Planned Parenthood, have already gotten access. Right. There's no interference with access. There's no, there's no interference uh, uh, physically. There are no threats of violence. There's no use of force. What they do is they sit in the waiting room, speak to women, hand them a red rose and literature about alternatives to killing their children in the womb, which is a decision they might regret for the rest of their lives. Oh, we're talking with Christopher Ferrar again. He's a senior counsel over at the Thomas More Society, thomasmoresociety.org on their website. There's coverage of this story as well as uh, as well as uh, more specifics and, and links to other parts of Thomas More Society. Um, is the is the is the um, 
Are they are they overcharging these people? Are they charging them wrong? Let me say it differently. In a state like New York, could the governor say, oh, we don't like that behavior. We're going to come in and pass a new law and we're going to come up with some new law that specifically targets that. And 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 or is your argument that, wait a second, um, you're you're allowed First Amendment. You're allowed to First Amendment rights allow you to say what you want to say. The question is, are you I think is, are you allowed to exclude people from private property? Right. But the point my point here is there overcharging or overreaching on the existing law, trying to stretch a law to pr- promote their political gain. But do you envision that they could in in blue or pro-abortion states pass other laws that would be sort of effective at stopping this? Well, existing laws on trespass cover huh. sit-ins. Sit-ins are a common feature of social protest movements. And right. so they're a feature of the pro-life advocacy movement. There was all this the civil rights movement in the 1960s. Ironically enough, Martin Luther King was arrested and put into the Birmingham jail because he violated an injunction against civil rights protests on behalf of black people. And he said in in his letter from the Birmingham jail that he was engaged in civil disobedience to unjust laws, which, according to St. Augustine, are no law at all. And he cited St. Augustine. So this is a case of civil disobedience, which is covered by existing law. If you trespass... Be prepared to suffer the consequences of trespassing, and they are prepared to suffer those consequences, these these defendants in this case. But certainly that activity is not force. It's not the use of threats of violence, and there's no physical obstruction. They're just sitting in a waiting room. Maybe the police have to carry them out, but they're not obstructing the operation of the clinic. So existing law covers this, so this is an overreach attempting to extend FACE and the New York version of FACE to a peaceful, nonviolent sit-in. And we intend to challenge FACE and its New York equivalent on that basis, that it's overly broadly construed in this case, at least as applied. Right. It's unconstitutional. Do you think, uh, again, Christopher Ferrar is our guest, uh, senior counsel at the Thomas More Society. Uh, do you think, you know, as the country watches more and more what I call broadly lawfare, whether it's attacking uh, conservatives for their uh, law license because they happen to, uh, you know, be a lawyer for Trump, whether it's, uh, um, you know, engaging in, uh, um, you know, I, I was with Congressman Matt Gates, who spent a couple of years and uh, $100,000 uh, defending himself over allegations of something. It turned out to be nothing. Uh, or you go down to Trump and all the indictments. But, you know, Christopher, are, are the are the. um are the uh, lawyers and the prosecutors and all getting more sophisticated at targeting these groups? Do you think they're getting more ham handed? Are they getting desperate? Are we learning about it because of efforts like yours more than we had in the past? It feels like we're seeing more of it, but is it, are we seeing it because you're finding it and helping or is it growing? I think that the uh, issuance of the decision in Dobbs, which declared what everyone really knew from the beginning, even liberal commentators, that there is no constitutional right to abortion, thereby overturning Roe versus Wade. I think the Dobbs decision has unleashed a new wave Mm. of lawsuits and criminal prosecutions in the aftermath of the disappearance of this non-existent constitutional right. So states attorney general are getting more uh, aggressive in enforcing face or the New York or state level equivalent of face as a kind of retribution for the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Meanwhile, of course, governments are ignoring attacks on pro-life pregnancy centers, 
churches and so forth, which were being vandalized uh, in the aftermath of the Dobbs decision. So, yeah, there's definitely an, an, an escalation of lawfare, as you put it, against pro-life advocates. Is there a um, is there a, uh, I don't think I know this, um, but I'm going to say it. So I don't know. I'm, not, I'm just asserting it now that most of the time it feels like pro-lifers when it comes to uh, litigation of this type um, are we're playing defense. And what I mean by that is we played offense on strategies to, you know, get to Roe v. Wade, right. Or get to challenges on what we think are bad law. But when it comes to sort of the, uh, the aggressiveness of, of, of around the abortion clinics and all, there was a period where we had passed some laws, uh, clinic regulations, uh, um, some of the, uh, physician licensure requirements that was more like offense. Is it, when you look at this, uh, Christopher, is there ways that conservatives, pro-lifers, you know, should be on offense? offense or is it the nature of our system that well, the law should protect us and we should be able to be protected and not have to be <laughs> litigating? Well, there are ways to take the offense as opposed to being really defensive. So right. unjustified arrests and violations of the Fourth Amendment, uh, overly broadly constructed statutes, uh, such as the one we're challenging in Westchester County in a, in a different case. Right designed to shut down sidewalk advocacy. You can bring First Amendment challenges affirmatively against such laws or bring Section 1983 actions for uh, unwarranted arrests and prosecutions in violation of the rights of pro-life advocates. And that that we've been doing all along, yeah. but hmm. it looks like we're going to have to be doing more of that. <laughs> it sure does. All right, Christopher, I'm out of time, unfortunately. Christopher, Christopher A. Ferrara, I will put up on social media links to the Thomas Moore uh, site. Great organization, great law firm, and doing great work. Uh, we got to run and take a quick break. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to catch up with John Schlafly. John Schlafly, of course, is half of the Schlafly Brothers. They write the Schlafly Report each week over at townhall.com. It goes live there and also archived at phyllisschlafly.com. John Schlafly himself is an attorney, has uh, been active for about 40 years at the right hand of the late Phyllis Schlafly and now at her organization's uh, all the different various Phyllis Schlafly Eagles organizations with whom I also work. John, welcome back. How are you? Good, Ed. Good. Good to talk to you. Before we get to the column, John, I can't resist uh, with your experience uh, and perspective. How do you react to the Hunter Biden uh, plea deal? Just the the, the, the the whole thing. What's your what's your thoughts? Well, um, yeah, what what to say other than we have a two tier system of justice in the country. And, uh, you know, even the the two uh, charges were done, which. Uh, they arranged for, uh, you know, an, a, a plea are very, uh, you know, they were, uh, what's the word? They were, uh, they were negotiated way, way down beyond what right. anyone else would have had. Right. But then, you know, more important are the things that were never uh, charged and that starting with money laundering. I mean, um and there's nothing in the charges that reflects the information from the laptop. Right. So the FBI's had the laptop for what four years. Right. Uh, they didn't do anything with it. I mean, Hunter Biden, Biden was conducting a money laundering operation. I mean, that's clear from the evidence, 
and he was not charged for any of it. Um, so, I, yeah, it, it's... And, and, and the amounts, the and you know, even the minor misdemeanor for income tax, you know, they never looked into. Okay, well, where did that money come from? The money that he failed to report, millions of dollars, where did that come from? And uh, you know, why was he paid that money? You know, nobody ever looked into that. Yeah, uh, and, they were and, afraid and, to, I guess. Yeah, you know, John, one of the things I was I said about it, I thought I said pretty well um, today uh, when I was asked about it earlier, was Hunter Biden has admitted and had evidence of real crimes. You know, tax evasion is a actual crime. You can see it. You can touch it. Having a gun when you're not supposed to, you can see it. You can touch it. And yet a guy like um, Donald Trump or, uh, say, uh, Professor Eastman, they're charged with these sort of esoteric mind crimes, obstruction of, a ju- of justice. There was no underlying crime, but you didn't comply with our demands fast enough. Therefore, we're going to call that a crime. Or Professor Eastman, you're going to be charged in the it's a bar a trial, but it's a real trial to take his license with with not giving the with having a mindset to uh, overtake the government when, in fact, it, in all, you know, describe what actually happened. It was legal advice, right? You don't have to agree with the legal advice, but it was legal advice. I, it's a it's an incredible that's the Standard. That's the two-tiered standard. Obstruction of official proceeding is a felony for all the people that were there on January 6th, whether they had any idea that what they were doing could disrupt the Congress. That's not, by the way, that's not what obstruction of official proceeding is. It's supposed to be about witness tampering, but we're going to charge you with that as a sort of thought crime. It, it, it's an extraordinary uh, moment. All right, John, I want to go to um, your column. Veto rampage in Texas discredits anti-Trumpers. All right. Texas Governor Greg Abbott vetoed more than 75 bills a few days ago, mostly sponsored by conservative Texas state senators. What's going on here, John? Explain this. What are we, what are we talking about? Well, first of all, Ed, you know, why are we talking about Texas? I mean, this is the this is the second column in the last you know, month that we've done about Texas. Well, Texas is the biggest Republican state, and Texas, in in many ways, is the linchpin of the Republican Party and the prospects for retaking uh, power in Washington. So it's important that um, Americans in the other 49 states pay attention or to what is going on, and particularly in the Republican Party of Texas, and to realize that. You know, Greg Abbott, for all of the applause he gets for putting migrants on buses, I mean, he's really not a friend to uh, those of us who are seeking change in our country. And it's, and we're just trying to make that clear. I mean, you know, Greg Abbott, for instance, although he got just like Greg, like, like Tron DeSantis, the reason he's sitting in his job is because Trump endorsed him. But just like Ron DeSantis, Greg Abbott has not returned the favor by endorsing Trump. You know, hmm. why hasn't he? Hmm. Greg Abbott has not endorsed Trump for president. And instead, Greg Abbott has gone on a rampage, which is unprecedented in the history of Texas. You no, know, Texas has been, what has it been? About, well, I guess we're going to have the 200th year anniversary of Texas pretty soon. I don't know, in a few years. Um, you know, never before has... A governor vetoed 75 bills passed by his own party in the state legislature. And why is he doing that? And he's doing that as in retaliation, as payback to 
and he's um, so. And and of course, the big issue from a national level is Greg Abbott really has done nothing to secure the border. I mean, the almost all, maybe eight three quarters of the over five million illegal aliens who have come into our country since Biden's become president have come in through Texas. Right. And Greg Abbott is the governor of Texas. And, you know, he hasn't done anything, really, anything significant to impede that flow. I mean, he's in a position to do something, but he hasn't done anything other than to put a handful, you know, maybe a thousand or so on buses and send them up to New York, Washington and Chicago and Denver. I mean, OK, we all got a big laugh out of that, but it's not talk about a drop in the bucket. Right. Uh, well, John, could you could 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 you could you busload of for every busload of migrants, there's ten thousand who are allowed to, you know, being released and allowed to take up residence in our country. And Greg Abbott is not doing anything to stop it. Uh, John, could you envision actually then we're talking with John Schlafly, John and Andy Schlafly write the weekly uh, Schlafly report column over at townhall.com. This week's is about uh, Texas and Texas Governor Greg Abbott uh, sounding conservative and then uh, not delivering. But, John, on this immigration issue, if let's I'm, 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 let's play a little game here. Uh, 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 if you were governor of Texas, is there some showdown on the law that you could do. In other words, we did hear were a part of it. I know that immigration, the 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 um the the managing of immigration law is a federal issue. It's in the Constitution, fine. But as to the invasion of your state, can you envision something that dramatically that could have been done that would force a showdown? I I guess I can, and I wonder why it hasn't happened. Well, yes, because of course the vast majority of these migrants do not cross at the official ports of entry, which are monitored, manned, and by the federal agencies. Um, And they're coming through, you know, crossing, you know, at uh, unofficial territories, which are part of Texas and under Texas jurisdiction. And yes, I do think the government of Texas and the Texas Rangers, who are the state police force, could could do something about that. And they're not doing it. You know, of course, if they did something, there would be a legal challenge. There's no doubt about that. But, I mean, Texas should be up to that. He had a great attorney general, uh, you know, Ken Paxton. He should should have been working with his attorney general. And the attorney general has filed some great cases, but he's not getting support by the governor. And, in fact, Greg Abbott behind the scenes was giving aid and comfort to this movement to impeach uh Ken Paxton from his job as uh, attorney general. So that was really the, the, you know, the final straw, the crowning blow of Greg Abbott undermining, undermining the, the, the job of uh, protecting his own state, which stands in the gap for the whole country, for people from all over the world. You know, it's not just Mexico. Mexicans aren't even the majority of them. There are people from all over the world who have come up through Mexico and enter the United States, and then they disperse. And, you know, and, you know, last night we heard from uh, Todd Bensman that the number's up to five and a half million. I mean, that's more that's more than the entire population of half of our states. Uh, I mean, 
it's the most astounding, unbelievable, unacceptable thing that's ever happened in our country's history. It is indeed. And, All right. and, and Governor Abbott is on the front lines, and he's not doing anything other than to wave them in. Hmm. Uh, John Schlafly not be regarded as as as, you know as a leader in the Republican Party he Hmm. needs to he needs to step aside and let somebody else do that job John Schlafly Andy Schlafly the column is uh, the Phyllis Schlafly report over at townhall.com veto rampage in Texas discredits anti-Trumpers John I'm out of time thank you as always Uh, I'll put it up on social media and uh, we'll take a quick break and be right back it's Ed Martin here on the pro-America report back in a moment this is the Phyllis Schlafly report a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The left had no sacred cow that was too sacred for Phyllis Schlafly to expose. From the Equal Rights Amendment to the abortion industry to nuclear disarmament, Phyllis laid waste to these institutions of leftist thought with more facts in fewer words than any other conservative in the movement. While Phyllis may have gone home to her heavenly reward, Her razor-sharp arguments are as valid in today's political climate as they ever have been. When Elon Musk's Twitter began labeling National Public Radio's account as state-affiliated media, the publicly subsidized conglomerate NPR criticized the move and stopped tweeting altogether. As an article for the Babylon Bee smartly pointed out, National Public Radio essentially wanted to deny being national or public. They announced that they would no longer be using Twitter and encouraged users to seek them out on different channels. PBS ditched the social media platform in solidarity. Yet the fact remains that nothing is untruthful about NPR's government-funded label. NPR's website openly says that federal funding is essential to what they do. Phyllis Schlafly called for NPR to be defunded decades ago. In a February 1995 column entitled, Of course, Congress can cut spending. Phyllis debunked the myth that federal funding is essential to what NPR and PBS do. She wrote, and I quote, The truth is that Big Bird isn't in the slightest danger of having his wings clipped. Children's Television Workshop, Inc., the producer of Sesame Street, makes almost a billion dollars a year in merchandising and related revenues, and it pays its top executives over a half a million dollars a year, end quote. Keep in mind that three decades ago, half a million dollars was a lot of money. Phyllis concluded with this. Whatever rationale ever existed for taxpayer support of an educational television channel has now long since disappeared in the face of the variety of channels that thrive without taxpayer subsidies. Phyllis was right. It's time to ditch public funding for leftist media once and for all. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The hypocrisy and lies of the liberal media are alarming and even incite public unrest. But the fake news and the commentators whose slant coverage are finally being exposed. At phyllisschlafly.com, we promise to provide timely alerts and take effective action on your behalf. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And uh, let's talk a little bit about um, 
Well, about uh, Donald J. Trump, Donald J. Trump. OK, so uh, welcome to the Pro-America Report. Go to ProAmericaReport.com at Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter. You'll see a lot of the photos that track this uh, event that I'm about to talk to you about. Uh, when I was up in New Jersey uh, and I visited with uh, President Donald Trump, uh, we had an event up there at New Jersey recently, a fundraiser for the Patriot Freedom Project, the uh, great foundation started by Cynthia Hughes, of which I'm a proud a participant. I'm on the board there and I've helped with that. But uh, the organization has raised and and uh, distributed uh, nearly two million dollars uh, money raised to help families, uh, money raised to help the lawyers of defendants of January 6th. And at the event. There were, I think it was 17 family members, and about 10 of them were children, kids, uh, teenagers who came. Their dads are in jail, uh, and uh, they came. It was extraordinary. So this was an event up in uh, Bedminster, New Jersey, at the Trump National Golf Club in Bedminster, New Jersey. Now, here's what's weird about this. I grew up less than 10 miles away from the golf club. I grew up in a little town called White House Station, New Jersey, which is in rural New Jersey, near headed out towards the Pennsylvania line, um, about 70 miles from New York City. And uh, so it was a very, very rural um, kind of small town America place. And when I was a boy over in Bedminster, there was a large estate with a huge uh, vintage home. And the vintage home was owned by John DeLorean. John DeLorean was a a retired uh, American Motor Company executive, AMC, a very successful kind of boy wonder uh, executive who uh, went to the top and was president of AMC and then retired to start and started his own motor company uh, called DeLorean, which was a flop. But it was a flop. And then the car was used in Back to the Future. That's a DeLorean, the one that uh, the Michael J. Fox character uh, goes back into the future with. And so that's a DeLorean. Well, DeLorean had this big estate and he uh, sold the estate when he was maybe at the end of his life. He got in trouble with the law, sold the estate. Then it was bouncing around and you didn't hear anything in that part of New Jersey. It's in Somerset County. Uh, uh, you you would see. Uh, what we call classic or you just uh, horse farms, big, big houses with lots and lots of land around it. And, and people that had horses, it was kind of old New Jersey uh, horse country. They call it because of beautiful rolling Hills looks a lot like Kentucky. If you ever drive through Kentucky on some of the interstates, especially Southern interstate is that 64 that goes across the, towards the su- Southern central part of Kentucky, you see horse country. It's gorgeous around Lexington, rolling Hills and very greens. That's how it looks. Anyway, Trump bought that property. It's a thousand acres. And he put a a, a top notch, uh, one of the best golf courses around and people love it. They come to play all the time. It's a wonderful golf course. And anyway, 10 miles from my house. So we go up to this event and Louis Gohmert, Congressman Louis Gohmert, former Congressman was a speaker. Mike Lindell was a speaker. um, And uh, Jeff Clark was a speaker. And so we were raising money for the, uh, for this effort. And then president Trump came. And so I had this opportunity to visit. And what I wanted to talk about was in just a few moments, less than five, uh, John Schlafly, myself and President Trump were talking about the late Phyllis Schlafly, for whom I worked. And John Schlafly was his mother. And President Trump met her three or four times total. Uh, But he knew her and talked to her on the phone a number of times. But he says frequently, he says and has said that he says she never wavered. 
And he gave a homily at her funeral in September of 2016. President Trump flew off the campaign trail, flew to St. Louis to attend the funeral of Phyllis Schlafly in the cathedral in St. Louis, this huge, beautiful cathedral. And the candidate for president, candidate Trump and his wife came to this uh, big cathedral, came to pay respects to the uh, casket and then went and President Trump gave a short address, less than 10 minutes. And he used the phrase, she never wavered. And he said she never wavered when she stood up for America. She never wavered when she stood up for the little guy. She never wavered, wavered when she stood up for life. He went through this and he used the phrase she never wavered. And it's a phrase that we have used and John Schlafly has written about a number of times. She never wavered. And we don't exactly you know, say it as she never wavered, said Donald Trump of Phyllis Schlafly. We use the phrase and then we end up linking in the fact that he came to the funeral. But standing there with the guy and realizing everything that he's gone through, it's such an interesting phrase for him to have used because it's a phrase that captures kind of his mentality. Again, at this event, we started at five. We heard that he was in the building. He had meetings going on. He actually called Louis Gomer to go up there and talk to him. I think he's got a second floor office and he called uh, Mike Lindell. But we knew he was in the building. He left the building and our event at 930, having taken thousands of pictures, having had conversations like the one he did with John Schlafly, having uh, hugged these young people, these January 6th people, having pledged money to, I don't know if he does this at many fundraisers, I shouldn't tell everybody. He said, I'll give you, I want to send you a donation. He said quietly to, to the founder, Cynthia Hughes. Extraordinary, but the energy. And so he left at nine thirty to go to his house. His house is on the grounds. I think it's a I don't know a mile away or half a mile away, wherever it was. He left in his car, you know, car. But unbelievable energy. And he spoke to our group for fifteen minutes. He he visited in a side room for pictures with the families of the January sixth defendants and their uh, their wives, their their kids, uh, parents, some cases, siblings. Extraordinary energy. And my point is this. He's never wavered. If you wanted to use a phrase, he used the phrase she's never wavered about. He used it about Phyllis Schlafly and her life. And you could say it about his life. There's two moments that I won't forget anytime soon. He looked over at somebody and said, that guy, he's he's going to be a winner. He's going to be a winner. In fact, he's going to be a winner. He's going to he thinks he's doing well now. He's going to be even bigger. And then he said, and he knows it. he believes it. And then Trump said, almost as a throwaway, President Trump said, and he said, and that's maybe the biggest part of it, meaning this guy believed in himself already, and that may be the biggest part of it. Extraordinary. And then as he was leaving the whole event, he looked over at me and he said, you're going to be so happy. They're going to be so happy. I don't know what he meant, but I know what he meant. Extraordinary. All right. We got to go, though. Have a great weekend, everybody. It was extraordinary. I'll talk about it more sometime soon. Great weekend, everybody. Thank you, Noah Dingley, Ryan Hyde. Uh, We'll be back next week. Ed Martin on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.